Well, this morning, uh, I want to talk, take some time and talk about change. Uh, I think that's appropriate. We're all thinking about it, right? It's 2012. Uh, how many of you are here and you've got some resolutions? Anybody, any of you guys resolution people? Anybody got some resolutions for the new year? Go ahead, raise your hand, be proud. Yeah, there's some of you out there, some of you resolution makers and uh, yeah, stepping out, new, new frontier, right? Okay, uh, I want to cover everybody here. So, all right, some of you are here and you're like, I hate resolutions. I hate them. I, if I, somebody else says resolution one more time, I'm going to punch them in the mouth, right? No more talk about this foolishness. This is just silly, silly stuff. Uh, anybody here? Raise your hand. Be proud. Yeah. Hey, we, you know, we, we chuckle at that and laugh at that, but we understand because change is hard, isn't it? Change is, is really a hard thing. Um, but this morning we're going to be talking about, about change and, 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 and talking about how hard change uh, can be. Uh, I was reading on the internet uh, the top 10 commonly broken New Year's resolutions. Uh, so, so this is just real honest here. It's not, it's not trying to flower this thing up or, or kind of make it look nicer than what it is. Yeah, there, it's just being pretty clear. Uh, let me read this. This is from Time Magazine. Uh, this was from, from last year. Happy 2011. As we all vow to do a whole host of things most of us will not follow through on. Okay, that's real optimistic output or outlook, right? Time brings you the resolutions most often forgotten. So here's this list of, of 10, uh, top 10 uh, commonly broken resolutions. Number one, lose weight and get fit. Number two, quit smoking. Number three, learn something new. Number four, eat healthier and diet. Number five, get out of debt and save money. Number six, spend more time with family. Number seven, travel to new places. Number eight, be less stressed. Number nine, volunteer. And number 10, drink less. And I assume that's not talking about water. It's probably talking about some other kind of refreshment there. Uh, But but good resolutions, all of them, right? Um, You know, as we read that list... I mean, most of us can probably maybe pick out something on there that we've tried to do, maybe not for a New Year's resolution, but at some point in our life, tried to make some changes and, and maybe have been successful. Um, but, but most of us in here, regardless of what we've done or what we've tried, we can testify to the fact that change is hard. Even, even, any, any kind of, even little changes can be really hard. Very small changes can be really hard, but especially when we talk about changing our lives and... Uh, so as we talk about this, uh, I, I thought of an illustration. I, 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 personal life, okay? I'm gonna, I'm kind of tell you a funny story about about myself and trying to change, make some changes. Um, and, and so I'll start out by saying this: uh, Michelle and I, uh, we are cat people, and um, I, I'm a cat person very loosely. Um, in fact, uh, this, this is Michelle grew up with cats. She had cats in their house ever since she was little. Um, although I understand this was not for her dad. This was, according to her dad, he would not have done this if it was up to him, but he kind of permitted it. So they had cats all growing up. We didn't have any pets growing up. My, my experience with cats growing up consisted of this. 
uh, we would go visit my grandma and grandpa in uh, southern Minnesota every once in a while, and they lived on a farm. And so they had cats, barn cats, basically, is what we called them. And uh, so that was my experience with cats growing up. And uh, we would try to catch the kittens, and we would torture them. Me and my brothers would. Um, and, uh, and it was bad. We did hor- horrible things to kittens. And uh, go ahead. Aww. Right? I mean, go ahead. Let it out. I mean, we were mean. We were heartless and, and cruel um, to these poor little, little kittens. And, um, and for those of you, I, let me say this on the side. For those of you that hate cats, um, you and me are probably part of the reasons why adult cats turn out so horrible. I mean, just think about that. These poor little kittens, they have done nothing. And here's these mean people torturing them. And so, of course, they grew up to be these awful creatures, right? Uh, we, they're a product of, of our torture. Um, anyway, so I, I'm not, I really didn't grow up a cat person. But by proxy, when I married Michelle, I became a cat person, right? I had to learn to love this creature. And uh, boy, I, I could have some good laughs now telling you some stories about, uh, actually before Michelle and I were finally married, um, she had, we were getting ready to get married and uh, she had moved basically all her belongings out here to Oklahoma and part of her belongings was Sam, okay? Sam was, was her cat that she had had before we got married and, and so Sam moves in. Michelle's not moving in yet. She's still, she's got to go back to Missouri so we can get married over there. And uh, so Sam moves in. And so, you know, I can remember some, some nights just looking at this new creature in my home and what am I going to do with this thing? And and he's looking at me thinking the same thing. He's thinking, who are you? And why did my owner that I love put me in this house with you of all places? And this is horrible. And so, and uh, so anyway, I've grown to appreciate cats and, and really kind of enjoy them now. Um, so you're kind of either probably one or the other most of the time. Uh, there's cat people, right? They kind of like cats and, and whatever. And, and then you've got over here maybe the people that are dog people, right? And, and there seems to be a division. Normally, you know, there's kind of this strong, these strong feelings. Uh, if you're a dog person, you kind of hate cats. They're worthless, whatever. Uh, they're not loyal, all that. Uh, if you're a cat person, you're like, uh, dogs are hard to take care of. They don't got any personality. They're just dumb. Or, you know, so you kind of got these, these very strong, feelings and opinions towards these different animals between these different groups of people. And um, then you've got a very special group of people. And and this is kind of where I'm going with this whole change thing. Uh, You have these people that are, they have both. They have a cat and a dog living under the same roof. Uh, There's maybe some of you here that are a member of this diverse group of folks who've, uh, and these Look, look at these people. Go ahead, put your hands up, because these are special people, okay? Um, pioneers is what I would call them. Uh, heroes uh, as well. Uh, someday, maybe there'll be some kind of award uh, for recognition for these folks, because uh, this is a great accomplishment to have these two creatures living uh, under the same roof, um, and, and, and some very, very well, actually, and har- very harmoniously. And, uh, and, and that's an amazing thing. I think in some ways, these people are a picture of the gospel, okay? Uh, because you've got these two sides that are divided and polarized against each other. And this person, these special people, they strive to say, hey, 
In Christ, we can all be one. Dog people and cat people, we can love each other. We can love each other through this. It is not beyond the power of the gospel to change somebody's heart, to be able to love both groups of people, no matter how different we are. In Christ, we have something great and glorious in common. And that, that's the message of the gospel. Uh, so I, I say that kind of in a joking way, but, but in some ways I really am amazed at these folks that are able to do that. And especially after having attempted it, this is the change, all right? We had a cat. And so we decided at some point in our marriage that we thought, you know what? Our family's just too small. We need to add some more people to our home or more lives to our home, I guess, not people. And so we decided we need to get a puppy. Um, how many of you have seen, maybe it's on a catalog or something like that, but you see, I, I started looking at some catalogs around Christmas time, and for some reason around Christmas time, they want to put puppies on Christmas catalogs, and they put a little red bow on them, and, and maybe the puppy is curled up on a cushion, just looking adorable as all get out, and I'm looking at these, these magazines, these commercialized, terrible things, all right, all right, and I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, that looks great. We can do that. We need a puppy. And, uh, and, 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 and maybe you've even seen this. I've seen this where maybe on a, oh, like a Hallmark card or something where you've got a picture of a puppy or maybe a big dog and maybe a little cat just kind of curled up together, you know, almost kind of the lion lying down with the lamb kind of picture where you've got these, these two animals living in complete harmony. And I'm thinking, wow, that's what it's going to be like at our house. This is going to be great. I would, we would love that. And uh, so, so we step out in this new adventure. We go get us a puppy and I'm visualizing how this is all going to go, that Sam, our cat, is going to just be so excited to have a new, new family member and, and uh, have this picture of harmony and goodwill uh, going on in my mind. Well, scratch that picture, okay? How many of you have seen Wild America or uh, something like that, you know, where... Yeah, you've got the, the mountain lion and he's like running after some deer in the woods or something like that. And, and, and just horrible sounds, growls, and, and, and just, it, just this horrible event where you've got this helpless animal uh, being completely tortured and mutilated by this ferocious beast. That's a little bit more like what it was like at the Dostal house when we uh, brought this puppy in. Um, our cat, Sam, who, very quiet, very mild-mannered cat, I mean, as far as cats go, hardly ever says, said anything, um, much less, you know, get angry or cross or anything like that, is transformed into this almost demonic beast. Uh, noises were coming out of our cat's mouth that... Are, some of them were almost on the edge of being audible, and then, and then, all, then, then to this like crashing, just loud, horrible sounds of hisses and and growling. And I didn't know a cat could growl until this point. I thought, I mean, he's just a kitty cat, you know, but he could growl, and and uh, it's just horrible, horrible. Um, to make this story that's probably too long already, uh, just a little shorter, uh, we ended up 
taking the puppy back and, and the, the owners that let us have it, they, they were like, hey, yeah, you know, that you tried and that's okay. And, you know, maybe someday you want to try again or whatever. And, and, and we're like, no, never again, you know. And uh, so we're taking this cute little puppy back and it's just not going to work. Uh, all that to say, change is hard. That, that's kind of what, I, what I'm going after this morning. Um, and some of you would say, we've tried some changes like that, and we've kind of gone away from those changes, and we, we've come to the conclusion sometimes that that change, that change that you're talking about right there, that's impossible. We're, we're just not going to be able to make that change. We, we can't do it. It's just not possible. Would you, would you believe that Jesus, when he talks about the gospel, and when he talks about spiritual change, that that's what Jesus says about spiritual change? Jesus says spiritual change is impossible. That about when I first was, was kind of working through this and I was kind of working through my sermon and I said that out loud, it about sucked all the air out of the room. I mean, I was like, did I really just say that? That spiritual change is impossible? That's really unsettling, isn't it? That's really unsettling. In fact, it, it kind of makes you want to get a little angry, doesn't it? You can't say that. You can't, you can't say that. Don't, don't you say that spiritual change is impossible. It, it can happen. It does happen. Don't say that spiritual change is impossible. That's pretty strong words. But I didn't say it first. Jesus says it first. Jesus is the one who says spiritual change is impossible. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at uh, verses 17 through 27 here. And uh, Jesus is going to have a conversation uh, with a young man. And uh, in this conversation, he, Jesus says to this young man, he, he says, or he doesn't say to the young man, but he says to his disciples, spiritual change with man is, is impossible. Verse 17, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I'm gonna pause there and give just a little comment on, on verse 22 because I think it's, it's really significant as, as I think it's probably one of the most one of the saddest verses in the Bible, one of the saddest verses in all the scriptures right here. Here's this young man, and I think he comes to the right place, and he probably even has the right question. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he listens to Jesus. Jesus speaks to him. And so this young man is eyeball to eyeball with the answer. He's eyeball to eyeball with the one person who can change him and transform his life. The one person that can help him and, and change him and transform him so that he 
has eternal life. And he turns his back on Jesus and he walks away. That's sad. (laughs) That's sad. Jesus was right in front of him. And he walks away from him. He turns and walks away. Let's continue in verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Will you pray with me? Father, we come this morning and uh, we ask you for help. Uh, Lord, I know there's some hard truths to swallow here as we, as we think about just the impossibility, as we think about our own brokenness, and as we think about the reality that we are desperately in need of your grace and your power. We're helpless without you, Jesus. Uh, we're, not just, we're not just kind of hurting or in a bad spot where we need some help. Uh, we are hopeless. There is no hope apart from an awesome and powerful God, apart from the gospel and the power of the gospel to change and to bring life. Uh, We're thankful. We're thankful this morning, God, that you are a God who's in the business of changing people. You are a God who, who is pressing into our world and pressing into our lives to bring us into a relationship with you. Thank you, God, that you're a God who is relentless and a God who's powerful. We love you, Jesus, and we we pray that you'd be lifted up, that you'd be the the center of our conversation this morning, that you'd be the center of of, of our vision, and that we would not turn away from you and walk away. Jesus, I pray that we would be people that would embrace you and follow you. Uh, Jesus, do what's impossible in us. Uh, make, (laughs) Make what is impossible possible through your grace and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you hear what Jesus said? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I've heard some different commentaries uh, or read some different commentaries on this and and there's some people that that will talk about this verse and and they kind of seem to try to kind of downplay it a little bit, make it not so extreme by explaining it this way. They, they actually would say uh, that, well, there's actually a gate in the city of Jerusalem that's called the eye of a needle. And it's just, what it is, it's a little gate. It's a little bitty gate. And, and in order to go through this gate, you actually have to kind of maybe stoop down to get in it because it's kind of small. And then sometimes, you know, in that day, a big source of transportation was a camel. And so you can imagine how hard it would be to fit a camel through that gate because it's little. Uh, I don't really think that Jesus is trying to say that. I don't think he's, if there is a gate called that, I don't think that's what he was talking about. Um, And this is why, because, because first of all, the response of the disciples 
when they hear Jesus saying this is this. They respond by saying, then who can be saved? They, they don't say, well, yeah, it sounds like it would be really hard to get saved or it must be really hard to get into the kingdom of heaven. No, their response is, who can be saved? Jesus, we have no hope now. You've just taken any hope that we had. It's gone. Who can be saved? Jesus then goes on to say, with man it is impossible. I don't think Jesus leaves any room for doubt here about what he's talking about. I think the picture Jesus is trying to paint here is, I have a needle, put a camel through it. Doesn't work. Uh, I, I was telling the second service, I almost get a picture of a, like a Dr. Seuss book in my mind when I try to think of this and visualize this. Uh, you know, some of the Dr. Seuss books, they just are very, I love the pictures, I love the color, but I almost try to like see a camel and like maybe a little bit of the camel's fur, like maybe threading, like twisted and trying to thread it through a needle. And then the rest of the camel's just like smashed there. And he's like, I can't fit. I'm trying, but I can't. It's impossible. That's the picture Jesus is trying to paint here. And I think he does a, a, a marvelous job. Spiritual change, Jesus is saying, is impossible. With man, it is impossible. But as I think is a, a, a great uh, and an important thing with good Bible study is I want us to make sure that this isn't just some random teaching just kind of out there on its own that Jesus is saying. And Jesus kind of just took this story and it's just, well, that's what it looks like it's saying. I want you to see that the whole of scripture really supports this idea that spiritual change is impossible. Uh, So we're going to look at a couple other verses here. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 is where we're going to start. Let's read this. It says, uh, about, about lost people, about people that need to be saved. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see the picture there that, that uh, the apostle Paul paints in Ephesians chapter 2 is, is we're dead. We're, we're, not, we're not even on life support here. Uh, we're not even in the ICU. We are dead totally dead, lifeless, no spiritual life at all. And then he goes on to say, this is where the impossible happens. This is where an all-powerful God does what is not possible with man. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You see, God is a, a God who does what is impossible. I've got more. Uh, stay with me here. Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, he's talking about, he's talking to these believers in Corinth about how they proclaim the gospel. Paul says, hey, we're careful about how we preach the gospel. And so he kind of explains it this way. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So Paul says, as I preach the gospel, I'm not a spin doctor. I'm not trying to make this thing look different than what it is. I'm not trying to spice things up or liven it up to make it look more exciting or or whatever. I am giving you the facts. I'm giving you the cold, hard truths And then on the other side of it, I'm also giving you the amazing grace that God would do the impossible. And so Paul goes on to say, in their case, talking about those who do not know Christ, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we are proclaiming is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to go back to verse 4 there a little bit and and, uh, just make a few comments. Uh, The Bible teaches, we've already looked at this, we're born sinners, we're born dead in our sins. Uh, with no spiritual life. On top of that, this is where the news gets even badder, <laughs> okay, if I can say that. This, this is where things get even worse. Not only are we broken, not only are we sinners, not only are we rebels against God and broken in ourselves, but Paul says, hey, we also have an enemy in this world, and he is hell-bent on blinding us from the truth. So we've got two strikes against us already, Not only are we broken, not only are we fully sinners at birth, but we also have an enemy who's at work to keep us from seeing the truth. We've got a lot against us. We can see maybe right there why Jesus would say, it's impossible. (laughs) It is impossible. But God doesn't leave it there, and Paul doesn't leave it there here in 2 Corinthians. He goes on to say, And I think he kind of goes back to Genesis a little bit here to kind of paint a picture from Genesis of what God does in salvation. Uh, In the beginning, uh, God created the world and all that. And there's a point in the creation story where people quote this all the time, where God speaks into the darkness of the world. And he says, let there be light. Let there be light. All the way back in the story of Genesis, And what Paul's saying here is in a similar way, that's what God does at salvation. He looks into the darkness of the human heart and the human soul, looked into my dark human soul, and he spoke into Andrew Dostal and he said, let there be light. And my eyes were open and I saw for the first time the glory of Jesus Christ. And everything was changed. 
because of the authority of the word of God, because of the power of God and the power of the gospel to change and transform somebody, to bring light where there was darkness. So in salvation, God is doing what is impossible. He raises spiritually dead people to life. He speaks light into darkness and opens blind eyes to see the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ. He threads camels through the eyes of a needle. Uh, What is impossible with man is possible with God. How is it possible? How, how does this happen? And, and I, I want to kind of give us a few more just pictures uh, to kind of to think about as we think about how does the gospel happen? How does that happen in somebody's life where their life goes from being, well, it's just impossible for them to change to being, they're changed. They're different. It, it was impossible, but somehow it happened. Change happened. Something impossible happened. How does that happen? Uh, Romans chapter 5, I think, is helpful. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you some pictures from the Bible because I think the images that the Bible gives are so much more colorful than ones that we can even come up with our own, in our own imaginations. Uh, Romans 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, That's a lot of words. There's a lot there. But the key word that we hear over and over again is this word reconciliation, isn't it? Reconciliation. The easiest way I know to explain reconciliation is what was once or who was once an enemy is now your friend and a dear friend. You've moved from being enemies to being the closest of friends. Even family would be a great, a great picture of that. That's kind of the, the easiest way to explain reconciliation. And, and here's, here's the picture in the gospel. Because of our rebellion, right from birth, we say, God, you are not going to be my master. I'm my own master. There is no master but me. And we kind of have a joke, inside joke, between uh, some of the men in our church and, and myself. But, you know, we're, we kind of... We kind of joke about, hey, it, it's all about me, right? I mean, of course we're going to do it this way because this is what I want. And so it's all about me. You know that, though. Thank you, for, thank you for acknowledging that it's all about me. You know, so we kind of joke back and forth about that. But that, that's the reality of the sinful bend, is that instead of us embracing the truth that it's really not all about us, it's all about God. It's all about the Creator. We want to we believe and we want to force on others <laughs> Enforce on God? No, it's not all about you. It's, it's really all about me. In uh, that arrogance, that pride, where we shake our fist at God, the one who gave us breath, and we say, no, it's not all about you. You're not that big a deal. I'm the big deal. In that pride, in that rebellion, God is gracious and is patient towards us, and the Bible tells us that God pursues us. Here, here it is. He even says, uh, while we were still sinners, not, not after we got cleaned up, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And Christ died to remove the wall of separation uh, that our sin, that our rebellion had built up between us and God. And when Jesus saves you and me, we move from being rebels, separated from a relationship with our creator, to being a part of his family, to being a citizen of, of heaven. We move on here. Romans 6, another verse, or another chapter, and a couple other verses here. Verses 5 through 11. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I was at First Baptist Church Potosi. This is the, my home church where I grew up and was baptized um, last Sunday. And uh, the picture here in Romans chapter 6 is is really a picture of what happens at salvation. This is what God does. Uh, God takes a person and, and, and God joins them to Jesus Christ. And, and, and a lot of times we see this referenced in baptism. A lot of times if I'm trying to explain baptism to a new believer, I'll use this passage of scripture and I'll say, hey, do you get the picture here? At salvation, what God has done is he has joined you to Jesus Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. So what happens to you when you become a new believer is that the old you is dead and buried. And we do that up here in the baptistry, in the water, right? But, but really the real picture is that person, just like we put a dead person in the ground, we bury them, we cover them up. They don't get back out. They're, that person's gone. That life is over. And the picture in salvation is that person is dead and buried and the resurrection happens, right? But the resurrection is a new person. It's not the same person, it's a new person who's been joined to Jesus Christ. And at this uh, last Sunday when they were doing the baptism, I liked this phrase that the pastor used. So you are buried with Christ in death and you are risen new, joined to Jesus to walk with Christ, to walk in Christ. And I love that picture because I thought, man, that, yeah, that's the gospel. That's, that's the change. That's the power to change is being joined to Jesus Christ. That's where the power comes from. It's in Jesus. God doing the impossible by joining us to his son and bringing lasting change. As, we, as I close this morning, I don't want anybody to walk out of here and make the mistake that this young man made in Mark chapter 10. Because he looked at Jesus. I hope we've done that this morning. I hope you've looked at Jesus. I hope that, that we've lifted Jesus up and that you're looking at Jesus. You're thinking about Jesus as Savior, as Lord. And I hope that you won't walk away and turn your back on Jesus and just be like, oh, okay, I'm done with you, Jesus. I've seen what I want to see. I hope you won't walk away from him. I hope you'll look at him. I hope you'll keep looking at him. Because he is the answer. 
He is the power to change. Some of you are here this morning and, and you're a believer. You, you say, yeah, I like Jesus. And uh, I'm glad you talked about him this morning. Um, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. And he has changed me. And sometimes I think as Christians, we maybe sell the gospel a little too short. We like salvation. We recognize that it changes us. It has changed us. But we stop there and we forget that the power to continue to change and to continue to grow is found in the gospel. It's right there in the gospel. In other words, and I'll, I'll, I'll use me as an example, <clears throat> when I blow it and I'm impatient with my wife and I'm just a total jerk <laughs> and I have to go to her and say, Michelle, will you please forgive me because I was not patient with you. Uh, I got angry with you and it was because I was being selfish. Will you please forgive me? My hope in that moment is in the gospel, <laughs> is in the reality that, you know what? There's forgiveness for me because of who Jesus is and I have to go to the Lord. And I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, man, I'm selfish. Because <laughs> sometimes my heart's still not right. <laughs> my heart, sometimes my heart's still just selfish and I feel justified in what I've done. And I have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness but I also need you to change me. Help me to change. I know my heart's not right. I know the hope for me is that I'm joined to you and that you have the power to help me change. And that's how the gospel works its way out in our lives, believers. There's our hope. Power to change is found in Christ.